Web3 with me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for being listeners of Web3 with me. I want to take a few seconds to tell you about my exciting new B2B offering. It is the mission here to educate. I sincerely believe Web3 can make the world better for more people. Businesses shouldn't be left out, though, so I've launched The Web3 Coach. It's a bespoke education experience designed to help your team understand how Web3 affects your particular industry or company and identify opportunities unique to Web3. Whether you have a law or accounting firm with a growing number of clients participating in Web3 through crypto and NFTs, or you're a real estate syndicate looking for different ways to raise money, or teams just of fast-growing Web3 companies who want to understand your customers and your new teammates, I make sure you can talk the talk and leave feeling more confident about this crazy new world. Please take a minute to check out my website at theweb3coach.xyz. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. My guest today is Cray, known as Cray Cray or Dr. Nifty in the verse. He's a thought leader, community builder, and top-notch trader in the NFT space. He's best known for identifying many top-tier projects early in their life cycle, including Punks, BAYC, CyberKongs, Cool Cats, Doodles, Proof, and even more. He currently leads the Block Party Labs community and is involved with several others. His role models in the space include Kevin Rose of Proof, Tim Ferriss, and Zeneca of the Zen Academy. He's done this while being a full-time active duty service member living overseas. He intends to build out this community and fortify his place in the NFT elite. Cray welcomes all to join him in his quest for NFT and crypto success at Block Party Labs. Cray is one of my oldest friends in this space and him and I share so much in common about being educators and onboarding people who have the right intentions in Web3. I hope you'll enjoy the episode. LFG, baby. Let's start vibing. Welcome to the show, Cray. Hey, thanks for having me, Zach. Uh, This has been a long time coming. In fact, uh, I think you and I were probably the most serious conversations we had when I was first thinking about doing a podcast, so I'm really glad to have you on. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's been a while. But I know. It's, it's it's to, how long ago was that? That had to have been probably a year ago now, something like that. Uh, I think it was maybe, yeah, last September or August. Yeah, nice. 2021. Nice. Well, cool, man. Um, well, I kind of already always start these episodes the same way, uh, which is with your founding story. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what makes Cray Cray. Sure. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just a guy, grew up in rural Minnesota and like all or many of my friends from the 90s, uh, we love video games. And the more and more we immerse ourselves in the digital world, the more we just craved more of it. 
and we played sports and did farm stuff, all that, all that, uh, rural Minnesota lifestyle. But I remember wanting to go back to the computer, back to the video game console. And then growing up had a tendency toward math, science, loved all that stuff. Um, it came very naturally. And then money came along when I became a young adult, had to manage that and becoming a professional, really managing finances, but still wanting to be in the tech space, discovering or rediscovering crypto, uh, in 2017 was something that was very transformative to me and I couldn't get it out of my head for the last five years now. And so I've been deep into crypto, just you know, researching, I remember the ICO boom, researching all these alts and the vaporware and trying to buy, like, I, I remember buying into the story of different use cases and that are totally BS and they're all, they all went to zero, you know? <laughs> that was part of but, the ICO uh, boom, I assume, right? ICO boom of like 2016, 2017 era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The ICO boom. You weren't, you so, weren't a member in the Dow, were you? No, I was not. I, I wasn't in any DAOs at that point. And I do remember, you know, I remember the crypto kitty craze and the crypto punk craze. Well, that wasn't necessarily a craze, but I remember these little pixelated pictures. And I I was, you know, that was very early in my professional career. I didn't have a lot of disposable income. And I was I was like, ah, even, you know, 20 bucks or 100 bucks, I'm, I'm not willing to put that toward this digital picture. I don't really understand it. And crypto kitties, I, I, I just, I don't understand it. This is too crazy for me. Uh, but in 2021, early 2021, I was taking a, just kind of taking a introspective view of myself and what I really liked doing and trying to figure out what I could bring to a larger audience or what, what I could help other people with and what I have helped people with in the past. And it would always recenter around finance and then, in in finance, in personal finance, I, I particularly had a niche amongst my friends in crypto, just talking and explaining the whole point of decentralization and the blockchain and how it worked and what the purpose was and how it could impact the unbanked um, and third world countries and how it could impact our financial system and why our fa financial system may indeed need a slight or major overhaul. Uh, and uh, even though I'm not necessarily the expert of experts, it is something that interested me greatly. So I remember fondly explaining that to multiple friends and getting them involved. And we made, 2017 was our first go. So we made a lot of money really fast and then we lost a lot of money really fast. <laughs> um, and, and most of us survived okay with our losses, but uh, yeah definitely lived through that cycle in all of the phases <laughs> that one can imagine. Yeah. And we're going through it again right now. <laughs> That's right. Yep. We're in the depths of the bear market again. Yeah. It, it, I can only imagine, I, I do want to double click on, on your bear market thoughts at some point in this episode. Um, of course. You are uniquely positioned there, but I do want to harp on one thing and that is a background and uh, I guess an interest in video games. Um, it seems that there is a lot of overlap in this space and people that did 
grow up really truly enjoying video games what games were you playing when you grew up yeah and that's kind of why i brought it up because i've also seen that overlap and you know it started with the classics of super mario on the nintendo super nintendo i guess and other games on the super nintendo but then really what helped me conceptualize cryptocurrency bitcoin ethereum was playing and getting deep deep into world of warcraft so Uh. that that really when i came across cryptocurrency it, it made sense in in a in a click of a button almost and then nfts also made sense once i read the right synopsis and thesis on nfts and you know when i first saw those crypto punks in the crypto kitties i didn't even dive into it i was like why would i buy these pictures um but once i came to realize that nfts may be a, a way to digitally own items such as a sword in a game like world of warcraft where i could potentially resell it have some resale value what and of course that use case is far away but it is something that we can imagine at this point pretty pretty easily and that's what i was imagining in early 2021 when i kind of saw what kind of niche i could fulfill is explaining and and helping people grasp understand and be introed into this space it is a it's a common metaphor that people use or analogy. I always confuse those. Um, but you know, it's <laughs> it really is like that was one of the first, I guess, that was one of the first ones that really clicked for me as well. Maybe I heard it from you. I don't know. Um, I, I got in for the art originally because I was starting to find my artistic side. But um I think also, the speculation didn't hurt, right? Um, <laughs> but but uh, let me ask you, when you were playing, when you did get deep into World of Warcraft, um, were people selling in-game items at that point, like on eBay or anything like that? Was that a was there a market for that? Yeah, that's that's not a part that I really look too deep into, a part of that game. But I do remember, I do remember evaluating my character and seeing what it might go for. And I remember it being, you know, somewhere in the $500 to $1,000 range if I sold my level 70 shaman at that point in time with its gear. And and that's, so I know there was some sort of market, but I didn't really dive too deep into what gold, like what 100 gold would go for, what a certain rare item would go for. I'm sure there was some dollar value. But I, I yeah. was more into what it would go for on the game <laughs> in, <Okay. laughs> in World of Warcraft Gold. <laughs> I just wanted to play, guys. Is that okay? I don't want right. to sell everything. <laughs> so let's uh, let's walk us through the uh, the first in- introduction to crypto in 2016, 2017. Um, I don't want to make any assumptions here. So what were you, I guess, getting into at that point? Were you evaluating companies' ICOs? What, what, what was your level of participation at that point? Yeah, well, I would say it was more just, I've, I've also been pretty strong in just buying and holding blue chip assets. So I remember, I think it was 2017 when I got back into crypto. So a buddy of mine had told me in 20. 10 or 2011 I remember I was either a second or third year in undergrad and my my engineer my engineering friends we were at a panda express so yeah there's this bitcoin thing it's they're saying it's gonna take over the dollar and I was like oh sure 
And then they're like, no, it's like digital gold. And I'm like, okay, like World of Warcraft. Okay. And, <laughs> and it was like 70 cents at the time. And I said, oh, sure. I'll buy like $5 worth. If, if you really think like he said, oh, it could go to a million or something. I'm like, great. I'll buy like $5 worth and I'll get six, seven Bitcoin or so, yeah. depending on the, the price at the moment. And he's like, oh, you can't just buy it. You got to go mine it. You got to have a computer to mine it. And I was like, oh, well, how much does that cost? And he told me, and I'm like, well, I can't afford a computer. I'm, I got $20 in my bank account. So then I just put that in the, on the back burner. Didn't think about it again until 2017. I guess I skipped the headlines in 2013 when it was popping. Yeah. Um, but 2017, it came back on the headlines. And then also a buddy asked me if I knew about it. I'm like, oh yeah, I do know about it. What about it? And he's like, oh, it's $3,000. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. I put that on the back burner for the last seven years and this is what happens. And oh, uh, 70 cents yeah. to $3,000. <laughs> yeah. So in retrospect, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. In retrospect. And so I was like, that's why I wanted to buy $5 worth. <laughs> um, Cause that's what I had in my bank account. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> I, I could can afford give you like one quarter of my net worth right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> As a whatever. 19 i was at yeah, whatever i was 19 kid. 20 year old yeah and working my butt off but still paying all the bills i had to pay and uh so in 2017 i i really i read the bitcoin white paper and i read about ethereum and i read you know i got into ripple a little bit stellar and i mean a, a whole bunch of them what were Just, your kind of early thoughts i guess like you knew what bitcoin was and at 2011 you didn't invest but like and you presumably read the bitcoin white paper before you read ethereum so i'm interested like do you remember your thoughts when you were first reading about ethereum and smart contracts and what those were capable of yeah ethereum was my i believed in ethereum more than bitcoin even at first glance um just because i saw what smart contracts were and I, I'm not too technical. I've I've taught myself some technical things, some code, and I've taught myself how to, you know, use EtherScan and kind of interact with contracts and taught myself how to read some Solidity and even type a little bit or code a little bit of JavaScript and Python. Um, but at that time, I hadn't. So I was just going off of what some, you know, and, and the content wasn't abundant like it is now to read about it. So I was reading as much as I could and trying to figure out what smart contracts even were. But I conceptualized it in this way where it's basically a vending machine where you just, it's, it's, a, it's much simpler. Smart contract sounds fancy. A lot of verbiage might be in there, but I conceptualize it as a vending machine where you just put some money in, press a button, something comes out, boom, it's a transaction, just function in, function out sort of deal. And uh, that, that struck a chord with me where, okay, that can all be automated, um, in, in a digital realm and not require something like a bank to release funds. And, um, I, you know, I, I was still having a hard time conceptualizing what it could mean in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. In the real world. Cause DeFi hadn't been, hadn't really been invented. NFTs weren't really on my radar and all the use cases of both of those were not on my radar at all. So I was still trying to figure out what it could be, but I, I based on just what I read 
what smart contract could be or what it what I conceptualized it to be at the time. I was like, okay, there's probably something to this. I don't know what it is yet, but it's probably pretty cool versus Bitcoin, just store of value. Okay, I can maybe buy it. Like I buy it because it went from 70 cents to $3,000 in my my absence. But <laughs> I, I don't really know what that means other than like saying it's digital gold, all, all the typical buzzwords that you hear today. Uh, that's Those were the buzzwords I would use to, to explain it to my friends as well. But I never felt maximalism toward any coin at all. I was very coin agnostic and I would I would just you know read about what I was interested in and put money toward what I was interested in sometimes win sometimes lose and um, the only things that I've ever been sure about were Bitcoin and Ethereum even from the first day that I came across Ethereum. So you had some good conviction there so if we could summarize there I would say uh, you know video games had a big impact on you being able just to understand how the industry worked. It was your ultimate metaphor um, and one that you used over and over to explain it to your friends. But then when you went and thought internally, uh, if I'm going to participate in this market as, as a true player, um, there's two aspects I really like. I like the fact that um, there is a finance component to it. I enjoy that. And then you enjoyed educating people. It sounded like that you didn't directly say that it sounded like you, you really, you enjoyed onboarding your friends. And also in the meantime, if you could be selfish, right. The more you taught your friends, you probably learned it better. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so you got to bring your friends in and, and that happens. That story is, is quite common, um, for us early people. Uh, I know that's probably a bad word these days, but um, the <laughs> like, like I have my friend who was the guy that sent me his one pager that explained what you know NFTs were, explained what Nifty Gateway was, explained uh, what Tezos was, like what Layer Ones were. You know, just kind of give me like that high level overview of like, hey, if you want to participate in this part of this space, this is what you're going to do, right? So we've got video game culture growing up we've got finance and we've got education which uh from from our interactions it seems like you've held strong to those kind of core tenets right um and we're going to get into block party labs a little bit later because i think it's beautiful i think you and i align a lot on the education side so i want to hear the latest updates as i've been off building biddling as they say um i want to hear what's going on over there too so there is one period though i want to focus on before we get there um, were you taking a part in like DeFi summer in like 2020? Uh, were you doing anything during that period? Yeah, at that point I was, I, I wish I was observing every day and I just couldn't get, that was one that I just, I, I, it made sense to me, but the APYs just didn't make sense to me. So I just couldn't, I couldn't put my money to it. You mean I a thousand risk. percent APY doesn't make sense to you? Why wouldn't you be able to earn Yeah. It? Uh, uh, <laughs> what is it like a million percent APY? I remember seeing those all over the place. And I just, then they were all named after food, yam and yams. And there were so many, I can't even remember. You just couldn't take it seriously. (laughs) I couldn't take it very seriously. I do remember the days when I looked at yearn, yearn was kind of started it. And I was looking at yearn price and it was, I think wifey token was maybe $800 when I first looked at it. And then it, if you followed it at all, it went up to like 50,000 or something like something ridiculous. I think it eclipsed, like, I think Bitcoin only got to like 
10,000 and urine was, I, I can't really remember the timing, but I remember urine went like some crazy multiple um, in a very short period of time. <laughs> and that's what kicked it off. And then all the food coins started because of farming, the farming meme. And it was, it was fun. It was fun to observe, but I, I couldn't get myself to put my, my hard earned dollars toward it. Yeah. So you got to observe as I mean, it's probably an advantage. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I'm sure a lot of people made a lot of money during that time and you wouldn't have minded that either. But I mean, the, the ability to observe without participating is hard. It is um, to have that level of discipline, self-control um, and not just go speculate immediately. Um, so kudos to you on that one. Um, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, yeah you can you can you can there's two sides to every story but that's um, right <laughs> i can say like uh i'm the opposite personally i will get into something and just pew, dive head first let's go for better or for worse um and i will convince myself that i need to do it now um n now <laughs> i um i've actually over this, this course of you know what we're going through now in this bear market i've learned that um you know, any decision that I'm typically thinking I have to make immediately is not a good one. Um, it's, you know, what whatever deal I'm going to get on an NFT or a cryptocurrency or something like it's it's probably not going to go away. And if you wait a few days and do a little bit of analysis or a few weeks or maybe even a few months, um, there'll be plenty of other opportunities. So it's a, it's a good characteristic or a good value to keep in mind when you're looking at this space, especially. Yeah, no doubt the uh, the FOMO uh, that people have become so accustomed to the past two-ish years is not a good habit for a bearish period. Yeah, but so, damn, is it, it's really good to play on human emotions, isn't it? <laughs> you can really get people to just go nuts over your thing if you start to build that FUD, that FOMO, those strong like emotions of fear in people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, before we get go down to how you're participating in the space and you can tell everybody about Block Party Labs and, and all of that, and I want to hear more about this uh, 2021 kind of like, I mean, it doesn't sound like an inflection point because you were investing earlier um, and observing uh, in Bitcoin and ETH and a few alts and stuff like that. But um, what was it in 2021 that was, was different? Was it a time period in your life or was it a time period in the cycle of Web3? It was a time period in both, I would say. I, I was looking for an opportunity to teach and expand my network. Uh, first of all, I wanted to just find an, some audience, five people, 500 people, whatever it may be. And I was making connections on Twitter. I think that's a great place to network. And over the course of COVID, that's what a lot of people turned to. A lot of people spent a lot of time on Twitter, and so did I and made a lot of great professional and personal connections through that. Uh, but also my evaluation of the crypto space, I was thinking, okay, so I do want to teach. I want to do something probably finance related. Crypto, it seems like it's getting pretty saturated, but there's a niche within crypto that I really, really haven't explored much, but I also don't see being talked about at all. And that is NFTs um, because they had come on my radar around the same time as DeFi summer, there were some CryptoPunk sales and there were some NFT stuff being built out. I, I think I distinctly remember something called Ave Goche um, 
being built out in summer 2020 ish timeframe. And then I, when I came to that period in 2021, early 2021, January, February, I was like, yeah, there might be something to this NFT thing. Um, I remember, I remember that from the summer. And so I just dove down the rabbit hole. I did at that point, you could cover all, almost all the content on NFTs pretty quickly. And so I was going to, I was planning on building out some content myself and I, I started the process. And then that was right when uh, Board Ape started coming out, when I finished kind of my, my outlining. And Board Apes came out in April, early May, and just started this craze where then I remember Gutter Cat Gang came out and Yeti. Yetis came out and then just a whole slew of profile picture copycat projects. And I, I couldn't imagine that it went on this long, but because um, I was there in January and we were, we were like, oh man, how, how long can projects be copying CryptoPunks? And, yeah. um, but I, luckily, I was lucky to have read almost everything about NFTs up to that point before it was a thing that now people have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, just NFT, NFT accounts. Back then it was like 10, 20,000 followers as an NFT account. You're pretty big. Um, so it was pretty cool to, to kind of follow that track all the way through. Were you, so you, you, did you start writing content in 2021? Is that when you first started like your website and everything? That's right. That's right. Yeah. What was the name of the website or what is the name of the website? It's, it's, blockpartylabs.io yeah okay and on that website are you had different educational material that you were producing was most of it written yes correct almost a hundred percent of it's written okay so you, you did you tend towards the written word as opposed to the, the like starting a twitter space i guess i don't know if spaces space space so yeah this was during the clubhouse days okay. so this was when most, <laughs> when clubhouse most was NF- alive. <laughs> yeah this was when like almost all NFT information was on Clubhouse. I remember a Clubhouse room where Board Ape Yacht Club was dropping. I remember that room. And uh, that's, that's how we got most of our information in real time was Clubhouse. And unfortunately, I haven't caught the Twitter space trend because um, just time zone issues with the people that I interact with for the most part. But um, the written word, and then I was hoping to build out a a video, podcast, audio, um, but getting goods from the States has also been a challenge. And luckily I've just, just gotten a lot of the goods recently. Um, nice. for those that don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out in Japan. So getting, um, some of these goods that I was hoping to grab can be a logistical challenge, not always, but sometimes in this I can case. Only imagine. <laughs> Especially right now, <laughs> it's hard for yeah, us to well, get stuff and we're kind of spoiled in the States. So yeah yeah and japan has a lot of good options so i i was able to find some stuff but it's yeah covid covid time things were closed not everything was available yeah supply chain issues everybody know yeah we all know the story what are you going to call your podcast make sure that any of the listeners want to check it out when you start it yeah yeah so i might actually go through some rebranding so this is to be to be determined tbd Uh but um the the current plan is to make it block party labs or block party podcast, I guess, but have yeah. block party labs be kind of the parent above it. But I have some other, I'm, I'm going to bounce some ideas off of some friends and potentially rebrand 
pretty soon. Nice. Um, the whole thing. So stay, stay tuned. Or, uh, perhaps. Perhaps. Ooh, I'm excited, man. That'll be cool. So, That'll be cool. Well, yeah. you, you take, you've taken this awesome educational approach that I think when you and I first started talking and, you know, this is, uh, for the audience, it's about six 30, uh, my time in Atlanta, uh, which is seven 30, uh, craze time in Japan. That's right. So, so, you know, the, PM. This, our first yeah, PM, PM, sorry. Yes. Six 30 AM, seven 30 PM. Um, That's right. this is, this was our first talks. I remember sitting at the table with you. I believe I had my daughter in my hands. <laughs> uh, sure my, did. So it must, it must've been post August 24th last year. At least I know that much because she was born. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and now she's almost a year old. Um, but you know, it's, it's just so cool that we could connect out here and, and like really connect, not just on a, Hey, you're in NFTs, you can speak my language, but Hey, you're, you're in web three and you want to educate, right? Um, you're not out here to pump bags. You're out here to teach people how to do what you do. And I mean, you've been very successful at it, right? Which I do want to dive into kind of your mindset as you got deeper and deeper into, into web three. But before that, we get to ask my favorite question, uh, on this podcast, which is how do you define web three when you meet people? Sure. I know some of it's contextual, but how do you define it? Yeah, kind of the the intro uh, for for people that wouldn't be familiar otherwise is the meme, the read read write own meme, where you go back. You have to kind of go back to the history of Web One, where it's more like a library, informational. You're reading about whatever it is that you're trying to read about. I I, I pictured it like a Google Scholar, Web Web One, and that was early days, so I I wasn't even really there hardly, but. Um, I did experience a little bit where you just read and then web two is maybe where you get to contribute, you get to write and contribute, but that is owned by platforms that took advantage of that time. Social networks as we know them, Facebook, um, Instagram, these, these platforms that kind of own the content, but the, the users create for them. And then web three is an ownership model where via uh, enabled by cryptocurrency, you can own content that you produce, whether it be text, audio, visual. Um, you own the NFT or you own a digital asset that you can create. You can own a token where you create the token or your community creates the token. And and that's kind of the, the quick explanation for people that aren't familiar. And otherwise, Web3, just basically crypto. <laughs> it's the fancy yeah, right? fancy label fancy label for crypto but with nfts we we get to add that ownership model into it yeah that's i mean there's yeah there's two ways i describe it too so it's funny i uh, if i am talking to someone who has no idea and i'm not 100 percent sure really wants to know uh what it is then it's everything that it derives from blockchain technology uh, and then I'll just name off crypto, DeFi, DAOs, uh, NFTs. And I'm like, if they ask me what those are, then I can go in a little bit deeper to the read, write, own type uh, type model. It's just it's a good way to think about, it. and it's and it's accurate, right? Um, Web three is you know for the most part a marketing term, but the reason it's a good marketing term is because it helps people understand that we're at the third iteration of the web, right? Um, and so it's easy for people to grasp it. Um, now to actually onboard people to web three is a totally different story. Um, 
as there are a lot of, of steps. Have you found successful ways to onboard people to Web3? Um, it, it really, this is one where it's like any job, any supervisory role, it's, you can't train or onboard everyone, especially with something that's pretty labor and knowledge intensive. So it really starts with the, the person's interest. And so if they're interested, they'll, they'll be willing to put in the work. They'll put in their 50, 80% of the work. And you can put in the rest to help them. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy and I love to do that. But um, reaching out to people that have no interest, I, I, I like to reach, but I'm not going to stay around very long and poke and prod them um, because that, that interest may just never come until the time is right for them. Um, but having having success onboarding people it all starts with the interested person and then yeah just getting i think we could get people fired up and ready to send their first cryptocurrency or buy their first nft within within an hour from zero if they're actually interested um and that's that's a beautiful thing because then that enables so much i've i even recently last week talked to a friend who has family in turkey um across the world and they send money every month to help support them. And so I was like, well, how is that process? It's pretty, pretty cumbersome. They got to go on a certain day to the bank. They got to get it released or they have to call on a certain day and they have to get these passwords and everything. And then the other side has to also do the same thing. And then they have to wait like a week or two uh, for the, the transaction to actually go through and for it to be received. And it's like, well, how about in an hour we just get, we just get you set up where you can send money from a MetaMask to their MetaMask or their cryptocurrency account on an exchange. And they showed instant interest. And those are the people that are very easy to onboard because they have a motivation to get involved. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's like, it's you answer the question with what is the person's intention first? And I'm happy totally. to teach you uh, but you need to be taking it seriously. And and I, I agree wholeheartedly. I like that reframe of it because um, one of the big promises of Web3 is this level of uh, autonomy that people have never experienced before, right? And some people just don't want it, which is totally cool, right? But if you do, if you find that use case that makes that is of interest to you, um, where you're ready to take it seriously, um, you know, then we can start talking a little bit more. But there is a high technical barrier uh, to get yeah. in the space. Um, that's the knowledge barrier you're speaking about is like, how do I go to an exchange, buy, you know, exchange my U.S. dollars for a cryptocurrency, then open a digital wallet and transfer the cryptocurrency from that centralized exchange to, the, to, to my uh, digital wallet. And then how do I then connect that wallet to the right websites, right? Because you need to be reading everything you're signing uh, and do all that. I mean, and then there's the second level of that, which is like, all right, you've taken this seriously enough to purchase a lot of cryptocurrency and maybe some NFTs. Uh, have you ever heard of a cold wallet versus a hot wallet, right? Um, and I, I mean, I had a very vivid, uh, uh, I guess, memory of the point when I did that uh, for the first time, which was I got scammed for the first time, um, plugging my site into a fake Adidas website 
um, that was just so perfectly timed. I mean, right as I joined the Adidas, it was an Adidas Prada drop and I had submitted my thing. So I joined their Discord. And right as I joined the Discord, a DM comes up right above it. And if you know, in Discord, when you first join a new one, it's at the top. So I assumed it was from, it was in that Discord and just clicked away. Oh, for 0.2 ETH, no problem. That was like 1130 at night. And I turned to my wife and I was just like, I think I just screwed up. And immediately I had my ledger luckily already set up. I just hadn't done the transfer part and just started transferring assets. And for the audience, a ledger is a cold wallet. Uh, it's a hardware wallet. Well, everything that is on the wallet is self-contained. So the only way that people would be able to access it uh, would be if it is plugged into your computer and they have something uh, like your uh, key, um, uh, your key phrase or whatever. So um, it is the safest way. It's still not foolproof, right? It still looks like a little zip drive. Who knows if you could lose it and whatnot, but it is a lot safer than the browser extension that is your typical hot wallet or software wallet uh, on the show. So... Um, do you, when you do onboard people that are serious, do you immediately introduce them to cold wallets? Um, I wonder, I like, do. You yeah. Do. yeah, nowadays yeah. it's like I, table stakes, right? Yeah. I say, uh, that's how I started. I learned about Bitcoin and Ethereum and then I, I'm and some, a couple other coins. And then I, the next paragraph of whatever I was reading that time was how to secure the cryptocurrency, not your keys, not your coins, sorts of deal. And the best keys are protected. And a software wallet, hot wallet, is not really protected from the sources that are pretty easy to inject into your computer. This browser-supported software wallet. Um, so I, I started with a cold wallet. I never took coins off an exchange into anything other than a cold wallet. Good for you. And so that's how I suggest everybody to start. It's like if you're going to put more than 200, I'd say maybe not 100 bucks, but if you're going to put more than 200 bucks into it, might as well have a cold wallet. It's yeah, a good that's, point. Like, cold wallet costs like 100 bucks maybe. So Yeah. So it's such a, the, the hardest part about a cold wallet is just setting it up and making sure that you can access it on right. your computer. Right. And nowadays it's getting easier and easier and easier. Um, and so I think we'll just see a lot more of that. Um, all right. Well, I want to transition a little bit. Uh, I want to uh, sh sh want you to share with the audience uh, about Block Party Labs. Um, that sure. is originally how we met was in your Discord channel. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, the founding story of Block Party Labs. Sure. Yeah, I've told you a lot about kind of my motivations behind it to teach, mm -hmm. educate and be involved in a space that I really liked, which is cryptocurrency, Web3, NFTs. And Block Party Labs is kind of my take on NFT specific. Um, but we do have some, we do have plenty of discussion about crypto markets and even TradFi markets in the Discord. So I started that Discord um, early, 20, early mid 2021. And in the Discord is where most of it happens. You know, I have the website, but the Discord's where people hang out, people read, um, where I try to put a lot of the more pertinent, up-to-date information into its own channel, into its own thread. And we have a lot of good discussions in there. And it's it's not one of those busy discords where you can't keep up with all the messages. It's it's got a lot of good people, but not so many that not just so much chatter that you can't keep up. And the people in there have really thoughtful um 
good ideas. And it's great to see, great to be the person that started that and made it a place for, for such conversations to happen over the web. Um, we, yeah, that's, that's the summary and I, I'm very happy about it. And the plans are to make it a bigger deal than it currently is. It's kind of under the radar right now, but um, I just finished a job of mine, one of the, my career, I guess. I just am in transition from a job but as of about a week and a half ago. So I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to strategize and figure out what's next in, in this, this realm, this direction. That's why the rebranding thing is, is a po- possibility. Um, but block party labs, it's been, uh, like I've made a lot of great connections through, through having that and all the people that have joined, I think we have like five, 600 members and some, we have at least like a dozen pretty active dozen or two dozen pretty active people in the discord, making a lot of good decisions and bringing good, good ideas to the, to the group. I found that, I mean, it, it's not as hype to have that many people, but I think it's better, honestly. Um, the discords I'm in that have less than 50 active people, um, I feel like everybody's there for the right reasons, or they tend to be, or else they wouldn't keep coming back. I mean, I, I personally, I have, it is not my discord, but it is one that I have, you know, been in since before. So since the beginning, somewhat beginning of uh, the Beans, Beans Dow, that's the cute little character right there. Um, and it's all my friends, like it's my mentor in the space and all of that. And there's probably, I would even say less than that for us, probably like 10, 15 people that are really just checking in on a, on a, on a daily, or at least, you know, every couple of days in there. And there's not uh, a lot of, you know, unnecessary chatter in there, but there's technically like eight or 900 people in there, right? Like, but let's be real. Most of those people just joined to say when whitelist, when we released a thread about beans Dow at some point. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think those organic conversations, I personally, other than you, uh, um, I have met a really good friend, someone who I met in person for the first time and TJ uh, up at NFT NYC. Uh, he's been on web three with me. Um, and that's all because of your discord. Discord. Yeah. I mean, that's, we, we met because of your discord. I don't know if you've listened to that episode, we gave you a nice little shout out there, but, um, we also (laughs) talked about notorious frogs, which I can't imagine you would have noticed, uh, at that point, because that was at the height of the craze, but it was like this little like offshoot collection, um, that was going to, um, organically bootstrap a, uh, metaverse that they were building. Uh, and the way that they brought in new members was what I thought and has still been a pretty unique way to partner, which was not a whitelist partnership, which is, I think, what we're most used to in the NFT space. But it was a partnership where they said, hey, these three collections, which was Guttercat Gang, Wicked Craniums and one other one, I drawn a blank. But like you guys are going to have spaces in our metaverse if you want them. And so here is the land of Osseus, which is the wicked craniums and they had Gutterville or what have you. And like you, you just had a space to hang out in there. And if you chose to, that's great. And then of course, when the, when the mint for notorious frogs came out, they said, you know, you guys are in the th- these three groups, like you get a, you get a whitelist spot, but like it didn't start like that, which I thought was super cool. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I forgot about it <laughs> after, after I, yeah, I kind of bought them and like, 
you know, there's so much going on. And TJ messages me, he goes, Hey, do you remember me from Block Party Labs? <laughs> you were notorious frogs. Have you looked at them lately? Like they're kind of like pumping. And I was like, What? <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, man, Block Party Labs connection there. I do remember that conversation you and I had actually about that. Oh, you we did do? talk about that last uh, last year. Yep, we did. Nice, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's been great. So um, that's really cool, man. I think uh, for the audience, if you have not checked out Block Party Labs, check it out um, for real. And uh, it is good content. Every time I, I duck my head in there, which is not as often as I would like it to be, but when I do, I find valuable stuff. And I like the way it's organized. Um, it's not overwhelming in my opinion, um, though anybody going into discord might think anything's overwhelming. It is one of yeah. the easier ones to navigate. Um, everybody's super friendly. Um, when I come in there, um, you know, I gave uh, the first thing you said to me, you're like, Oh, when you found out I had a podcast, you're like, Oh, just go put it in there. Go, go show everybody. And like, I've been trying to not chill, but when a friend tells me to do that, like I'm, yeah. I'm encouraged to do that. So that's extremely cool. Let me turn off Discord now that we're talking about it, so I don't have to hear that in the background. Um. <laughs> yeah, and a point about smaller Discords I want to make actually is I've I've yeah. been in quite a few really good like quote alpha Discords. So back last summer, the Cyber Kongs, Wall Street Kongs was just the, the absolute place to be for alpha, and it was also pretty small, not a lot of chatter. You know, you could keep up, you could even come back in a couple hours and scroll up and see all the stuff you missed pretty easily. And um, then now, and for the past few months, proof discord is not too different. You can do the same thing with a proof discord. So it's a thousand people, you know, there's certain amount that are active and certain amount that aren't. And you can, you can cover, you can read everything every day. You don't have to, you're not reading a book every day when you try to read back. Yeah. That's, and that so, is a good point. That's where a lot of the good discussion is had is in these places where there's not a lot of chatter and, and it's tough to find. Like those are both token gated paid discords. Mine is free, of course. And so, um, and it's not going to be gated until there's too many people. Like I don't intend to gate it because I'm not trying to shill it uh, yeah. all over the place. But as long as there's good conversation, I'm happy to keep it open and kind of be a part of that onboarding process for people. Yeah, that's it's so true. It's it's like um, uh, there is there is a competing theory of like hype it out. Let's you know try and pump this thing up, and you know I get it, right? Like, and I don't know if all those people are like not well intentioned, but it certainly seems like there's only one priority for most of them, and that is just make as much money as possible as quickly as possible. And um, as an educator in the space uh, like yourself. Uh, I imagine there's a lot more value to just being able to have real conversations, consistent conversations over time and not feel the need to like immediately dive right into every single, every single thing and read every single page. And, and even if you wanted to be able to do that in an easy manner. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so let's, let's dive a little bit into your personal journey. Cause I, I mean, I'm just, I think you're one of the, best collectors uh it, that i've ever met in the space um at least that i'm friends oh, with right yeah i i want to <laughs> know like yeah like what what was your first nft how did you get to the point where you were uh you know really like a big participant in the space yeah um i do remember you know when i first started 
kind of testing the waters out for myself so that I could, like I was testing the waters so I could teach. And so I hopped on to all the platforms, Nifty Gateway and OpenSea and Rarible, which were kind of like the big three at that, at that point in the, in the market. And I decided I wanted to get more into OpenSea just because that seemed like the place where I could find just any old artist that I was talking to on Clubhouse and buy their work. And so I did get into it with artists, talking with artists one-on-one and Clubhouse. And um, I would go in and check out their page, see what kind of art they had. And then I would typically stay in the range of uh, less than 0 0.2, 0 0.1 ETH. And I'd say that the cheaper, the better for your first NFT, because it's probably going to be a bad one, um, at least for from a financial standpoint. So <laughs> I could have definitely gone a little cheaper than that, even because that was when ETH was really pumping close to like <laughs> three, four thousand. And oh, those, uh, days. <laughs> those days. Yeah. And that was uh, the first time ETH went to four thousand. And so I was buying NFTs and I was like, oh, man, maybe I maybe I shouldn't buy many more. And uh, then shortly after I was, and, and it's all, it all kind of blurs together, but I had probably 10 or so NFTs at that point from various artists. And then, uh, and they're, you know, just artists kind of talking about their work on Clubhouse. They were, they were, I think they were doing pretty well for themselves, to be honest, because they were making ETH hand over fist and just from one or two people like me and then having one or two conversations like that every day. You know, that's maybe a couple thousand dollars a day for a little while if they could get one sale, one or two sales a day, like from people like me buying one or two pieces at a time. And uh, then shortly after that, it all blurs together. I do remember when CyberKongs came out and they were 0 0.01 and I didn't buy when they first came out. I was like, okay, they're just copying CryptoPunks. I don't really want to buy copycat of crypto punks you know that's just they're just monkeys that are monkey crypto punks i'm not going to buy them that isn't and the then, only collection uh, that people said that too <laughs> i know right well that, that so that was in early march when cyber Kongs came out it was right before so, board apes because board apes was it was like before april yeah it was about I, I don't know exactly but it was like a month or month and a half before board apes yeah and I just remember just kind of dismissing it because it, it was cyber Kongs are pixelated and cyber Kongs, crypto punks, you know, these C word. And I was like, okay, that's too much copy for me. Um, even if it's a homage and even if it's different, I I'm not even going to pay attention to it. Just kind of like what I did for Bitcoin when it first came out, like, oh, okay, I can't really, I'm not going to really get into it. It's, it's uh, too much work or something. And I kind of forgot about cyber Kongs and then board apes came out and board apes i had somebody dm me like man these these things are generating a lot of hype and the, the floor was like point point two point one five or something in that point and i i passed i was like okay i've already bought quite a few nfts i can't really afford to like my nft portfolio i've already allocated my amount of eth that i'm willing to which is which at that time was like three eth i was willing to lose three eth at that time or maybe four ETH, but I had pretty close to that amount. And I'm like, okay, maybe I can afford one board ape. And so I did buy a board ape. Um, I made a trade for a board ape actually, where I contributed some ETH and one of my artist NFTs. And I, I got a board ape. And, and then I held that and I was kind of 
and I had only lost money on NFTs up to this point. So then Bored Ape started going up and I was like, okay, well, let's try to flip this so I can at least earn back what I lost. And then I kept flipping, I kept trying to flip Bored Apes um, and it was successful for, for a while. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to buy and I'm going to hold these. I'm just going to buy one or two and I'm just going to hold them because I've flipped enough and I'm doing fine now and I feel comfortable um, with my stash that I'm willing to lose through this education. So I bought I bought another ape at 1.8 and just held it. And I made all the mistakes in this process from, from the beginning of this conversation where I bought my first NFT to this point. I've already lost a lot of ETH through using different platforms like, um, yeah, like NFTX and stuff like that. I've lost ETH, like not being scammed by people, but just like misusing platforms and kind of like throwing away ETH on my own. Um, so I've, I made a lot of mistakes, of course, and bought NFTs that were worth zero instantly when I bought them. You know, everybody, if you're new, you're probably going to end up doing that. The, the rug of NFTs and, uh, so then I, I get this board, I get on the board ape train and I, I realize, okay, this profile picture thing is, is a thing. This is a meta at this point. We weren't calling it that at that point, but, um, this profile picture thing, that's a meta that we're going to go with. And then I was also learning a lot about art blocks at the time and generative art. And I was also listening to Kevin Rose's podcast, modern finance at the time. Um, and then since since then he has rebranded to Proof, and now that's a huge NFT brand. Um, but consistently educating myself with various podcasts like Proof, Modern Finance, Zima Red, uh, Matt and Rizzo, I think is one that I was listening to, and then reading a bunch of Substacks and and anything that I could on NFTs. It led me to two things: it led me to profile pictures, and generative art, and so. At that time, it was Bored Apes. Then soon after, I realized Cyber Kongs were a thing. So Bored Apes, Cyber Kongs, Cool Cats, um, Gutter Cats, uh, and then generative art like Art Blocks. And unfortunately, I never picked up a Fidenza because I was still stuck with that three ETH where I was trying to only use three or four ETH where I was trying to only use that amount no matter how much it grew or how much it shrunk. And um, so the Fidenza just never quite fit in that budget, unfortunately. Uh. But but I did I did do some other art blocks that were were successful, and I I still hold squiggles and um, that's and I I I traded some and held others, and I'm happy about that. But yeah, I definitely missed some of the big ones in the art blocks craze where and I love Fidenzas from the moment I saw them, but they were also two two eth when i first saw them two or three eth and i had never spent that much on an nft <laughs> that was since then, from like, since then yeah. you may have spent that much on an nft right? since then <laughs> correct but but at that point like buying a board ape for 0.5 was like whoa this is too much and i remember two that's ETH, why i didn't buy one <laughs> yeah i was like 0.5 so, for this thing no way <laughs> so two eth was just yeah astronomical I got and an so, opportunity to hear uh, Tyler Hobbs speak as a founder of Fidenza's yeah. um, for the audience at uh, NFT NYC. Uh, did you follow the DECA uh, launch at all? Not not closely. I know about okay. it, but I didn't follow too closely. Okay. Yeah. 
they were, he was pretty involved with that. So it was him, 6529, and DC Investor on a panel there, um, which was just Oh, wow. Like, that's awesome. Blowing up my mind. Like their, their answers are just so well thought out and so past the surface level that I think you usually get uh, when people are on a panel. So, yeah, yeah they're very well spoken. So you were, that was, so you were extremely disciplined, uh, even early on, even though you happened to be doing a really good job of picking out the blue chips, right? You could have been spending two or three yeah. or four ETH on Yetis for all we know, totally. you know, and, and you it would have been a totally different story. Um, were you participating in the discords pretty heavily at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely at that point, the golden, the golden discord was CryptoPunks. So yeah, CryptoPunks yeah. hadn't yet hadn't yet found its way to all the grifters and all the shillers. There weren't they weren't in the CryptoPunks Discord yet. There was a lot of green names for the There most was no part. famous people named after CryptoPunk numbers at that point. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There were none. Um, <laughs> the the famous CryptoPunks were all like crypto people or like crypto native people with 10 10,000 20,000 followers. Uh, I guess DC Investor was probably maybe the most famous CryptoPunk that I can remember. He yeah. probably had more than 50,000 at that point. But uh, yeah, that was that was a good time. CryptoPunks was the Discord, the place to be where all the alpha was shared about gen art and and profile pictures. We were, I, I wasn't much of a I wasn't much of a degen, to be honest. I just uh, buy what I consider to be blue chippy and I would buy it at as early as I could. So that would, you know, I remember buying Cool Cats in the first week it was out. And then I bought Cyber Kongs. I, I made up for my mistake of passing them and I bought them in July, um, well before all the craziness of the fall. And then I remember, uh, what else? What else? I remember getting into proof day one and being very passionate about Moonbirds as well, day one, or even before day one. Unfortunately, it gained, it gained too much hype. I remember being a big fan of Doodles, and um, I remember being a big fan of Doodles before it launched and then during the dip in the fall, winter. Yeah. And before it rocketed off, it was about one ETH when I was really looking at them all. Um, Where are they now? I never... What's What's the I think floor? I think they're twelve ish maybe. Okay. Uh, interesting. But of course, yeah, it is down in yeah. USD. So I I totally <laughs> missed that one. I'd never even heard of Doodles until oh. one of my favorite artists, a guy named Dell, had one as his profile picture. Uh, and but uh, from what I understand, they take a very, uh, which I appreciate because it is not necessarily the approach in most of the space like a businessy approach to it which is like hey we do. It's, it's not just a roadmap this is like hey we have a business strategy uh and i think that someone said who went to their um nft nyc party was saying like the first half was like almost like um what i would equate to like a, a company kickoff where they were like the state of the business is <clears throat> these are our plans for the future and it wasn't just release more nfts uh, stake NFTs. It was like, these are some of the numbers. This is how this is going to work. Uh, we appreciate you being a part of it. Um, so that's, that's really cool. I, yeah. I can appreciate that in the community for sure. So, uh, thanks for, thanks for sharing a little bit about your journey. It, I mean, just for the audience to grasp that, um, if you are not aware of all of the collections Cray talked about, they are still the blue chips in this space. The, the, uh, squiggles, 
um, a lot of the art blocks collections are, you know, considered the art to own in the space other than some other artists like X copy and stuff like that, which I'm, you mm -hmm. probably have some of that as well. Um, you know, board apes, um, doodles. It's you, so you had kind of a knack for, for picking out what, co what collections were there was, is there like specific like mental models or frameworks that you would use when you would first see a collection coming out? Um, Definitely. I'd be interested to hear that. Yeah, the uh, very first thing that I would do is see who it's created by. And I kind of was looking for, especially early in the summer, I was looking for kind of an indie or an artist that I didn't necessarily know. I would not I would skip any famous person that came out with an NFT because I just saw it as a cash grab. But for artists that I may not necessarily know the name of firsthand, but I can go Google and see what kind of work they did. I would do that and see what kind of artist or whether or not they're a grifter. And I would kind of make my own evaluation of that based on their prior work and how they entered into NFTs. And so um, I, I remember um, even, so that was kind of my filter. That was my filter of whether I'd even look at the project, even consider minting it or even consider buying it. And then some of them I would, I would just wait for secondary and then the whitelist meta hit and I'd have to wait for secondary. So I wouldn't get the whitelist for a lot of the projects. And I, again, still went through the same filter where I'd like, where I'd have to evaluate the team, evaluate the artist, evaluate whoever was involved with the project. And so that's what doodles doodles. I, I really liked burnt toast art and, um, poopy cat, I think his name is Jordan, if I recall, and he was heavily involved with Dapper Labs and Crypto Kitties back in 2017. Dapper Labs was now now they're famous for Top Shot, but it was also preceding Top Shot. They kind of were really heavily involved with creating the gamified Crypto Kitties, and so he was heavily involved with that. And so I was like, okay, I, I like the art. I, I think this guy's got experience. I can I can say this project's probably going to do pretty well. What is pretty well? Is pretty well 20 ETH or 5 ETH? I don't know. That's that's where it's hard. Once you get up, once you start seeing it rocket off, where is it going to stop? Um, that's, that's the really hard part for me to actually say. Uh, and that's where you're kind of buying for the art, I guess. And you're going to say, well, I'm, ho I'm hoping it makes financial gain, but I'm also, I, I just have to like the project and I have to like the founders and the artists. Um, so those are some of my, my baseline mental models. Uh, and I do have to like the art personally to buy it for the most, I, I've degened my, my own share, but I, to actually hold it and expect it to be a blue chip. I, I have to like the art because that's what's going to be bring mass appeal to an audience. And then I, the third thing I evaluate is, so that's the team. Then I evaluate the art. And then the third thing I evaluate to see if it has staying power as a community. So I, I see if there are people that I'm familiar with in the discord. I see if there are people that I'm familiar with on Twitter tweeting about this project. And then I kind of see, the com general conversation about whether it's going to go to the moon or whether they like the art or whether they like the team, whether they like the roadmap. And then I evaluate whether or not the team is going to continue executing on the roadmap or execute in a way that is unexpected, but fun for an audience like a treasure map. 
And, and that's what we've seen in, and that those were my thesis. Those were my theses for every single project. And that's what we've seen be successful. So I guess I got lucky that my mental model happened to be correct early on. And what's your analysis um, too? I mean, I think I, I wouldn't think it's like novel to say a lot of these things, but to actually sure. stick to them is what is the difference, I think, right? Like to not get caught up in the hype. And it sounds like number four, when it comes to execution, might be uh, one of the models that you use to decide whether five ETH is enough, right? To say, are they continuing to execute? Does it look right. like it's growing or is it growing off hype? And, you know, maybe the hype dies after a while, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, that, that can be, that can be tricky, but yeah, that, that is, that's like a combination of execution plus the community's fervor and staying power. Um, to evaluate the longer term potential of a pod project. That's, that's the harder one. Sometimes I, I die with my conviction too. And I hold too long for some things where the project has maybe run its recent cycle and perhaps I should have traded. Um, but that's, that's a whole nother issue. So I guess we've kind of got your models. We've kind of got, you know, how you're participating in the space from a, I guess, organizational or educational perspective. Um, we've got a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon uh, for block party labs, whether it's a rebrand or whether it's just a big announcement, which, you know, I'm particularly looking forward to, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Um, but also we are in the depths of a bear market right now. Um, everybody's a little bit quieter and I think that's natural, right? There's a lot of reflection that happens. We flush out a lot of um, who I would consider maybe not long-term players in space. Um, how are you approaching the bear market, both from a personal perspective uh, in a collector, uh, an investor, and also from a, the Block Party Labs perspective? It seems like you're very good about making sure that everybody's got a good gut check. So what is your general approach to this time? Yeah, first of all, uh, you have to be comfortable with your situation. So yeah, if you're panicking every move, um, find a way to, to make that stop. <laughs> uh, and that could be making, giving yourself more USD in your bank account, more stable coins. That's a safe, stable coin. Um, getting your allocation right. That's, that's the very first thing I have to do for myself. And that I recommend everybody do. There's a there's a degen part of our portfolio, which is pretty fun. That's the fun part, but maybe in the bear market, it's not as fun. So uh, it's all about positioning and constantly reevaluating. So I, I stuck to my my principles from day one with NFTs as well, and I I never varied from that. And if I did, it was I was anxious and felt all the things that people are feeling now, and I had to rebalance, and I did that. And I had to rebalance because I, I was losing sleep. And so even if I was even at the peak of the bull market, I was losing sleep because I was like, oh, man, what if this all goes to zero tomorrow? And so I would constantly reevaluate that. That's probably some 2017 PTSD hanging out um, where every dip kept dipping. And <laughs> so that's that's the very first thing is get your allocation right. Get my allocation right. That's the first thing I did. Um, and that's what I constantly do. And, yeah, and it's not doesn't sound like it needs to be mathematical either. It's, it sounds like it mostly needs to be psychological. Yeah, and I have a mathematical model to follow, mm -hmm. but I have a psychological gut check for myself. Yeah, 
definitely where the sleep, I already don't sleep well. So when I notice that I really don't sleep well, it's, it's not, not great. And, um, then, uh, then what, what, what it would be next. Um, the next thing I was going to say is patience is the, the, the next thing in a bear market, there's no rush for anything. There's no FOMO. You don't need to have FOMO. Um, you might see a bounce, you might see something bounce 50%, you know, moonbirds might go a hundred percent. They might go to 50 ETH in this time. Uh, board apes might, might go 150 ETH if the right catalyst happens and other side land might goes, might go a hundred percent. Uh, but they probably will come back to earth at some point again as well. And same with ETH. ETH might go from a thousand dollars today to $1,500 in two weeks, but I, I'm I'm not chasing anything. I'm just being patient, and I'll accumulate when I think the time is right. And I, I will probably, I, I usually mention those things um, in my Discord or on Twitter, and I I try to make it. I'm probably not the best at making it obvious when it's a trade versus long term accumulation. There's that's definitely constantly being reevaluated as well. Um, but those are things that. Each person can make for themselves. Each person can make that decision for themselves what they're comfortable with, and the allocate. That's where it all comes back to allocation. So if I make a trade, and it's successful, maybe some other people do too, but maybe some people are holding. And I don't. I'm not one to tell you one is right and one's wrong. I'm wrong a lot, so <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit that. I, I try to be right more often than I'm wrong, but I try to give, I try to share my ideas and what I'm thinking so that other people can at least know that I'm thinking and they don't have to copy. They don't have to follow, but they can know, know some thoughts. And those are kind of my two guiding principles after living through 2017, getting the allocation, right. Being patient. Yeah. That makes, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it's uh, as, as people go through that process, uh, all as a, as a community manager like yourself. And I mean that and not the term of art way, obviously you're more than you're, you are the creator of this, but like just managing your community, um, just knowing that you're there for people, but you're not the answer, right? Like I'm not, I'm not going to be able to tell you what you're comfortable with. Um, you got to decide that for yourself. And then I've gone through those sleepless nights. I have a lot less of them this time around than I had in 2021, and all of my nifty gate get nifty gateway portfolio was down 80, 90%, um, right before the PFP craze. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to be patient. Um, and to be honest with you, like, uh, for me, what was, was comfortable was what's in is in, right. I didn't, I don't do much rebalancing, um, other than maybe getting out of a few soul projects recently. But, um, I mean, it's, it, it was just like, Hey, it's there. I'm, I'm with this, these, these communities, I've put my, you know, I've done my analysis of who they are, of the artists, uh, very similar to what you have done. And um, I'm in it for the long haul, you know, and uh, I, I know that this may not be the thing that, that boosts me into, you know, stupid amounts of wealth. And I'm okay with that because I love the art. I love the artists. I bought the art with my friends. Uh, and honestly, after going to NFT NYC, it re <laughs> reinvigorated me for, especially for dead fellas, um, which is my shirt in case the audience does not know. Um, it's just, you know, you, you gotta be comfortable where you are. 
uh, and that can be mathematical calculations that can be psychology or whatever. So, but you know, both, both Cray and myself are here. Uh, you'll know how to get in touch with Cray from the show notes, uh, and block party labs and all that wonderful stuff. And, um, web three with me, you know, feel free to reach out to me off edge on, on Twitter, uh, if you want to chat about it, cause it's not easy, but, um, you know, it's, if you want to participate for a long period of time, you got to go through these cycles and there's going to be more of them, uh, after this. So cool yeah. um and i will say to the audience too that you know both off edge and myself and then in my discord almost every single person has got a great head on their shoulders and that we're all supportive and want to help and want to lend an ear if, if anybody needs it so um i've done that on twitter and i'm i'm sure zach has done that for some people on here and it's it's helpful to some people and it's even therapeutic for us so it's uh it's it's something we're all we're all in it together so yeah. don't be afraid to reach out the worst can, that can happen is no response don't you know or no but that's with uh, with people that i mentioned probably won't happen we, we're very supportive yeah for sure slide into our dms we got you um okay. so i always like to close these shows with uh a closing question of the future, which will make a lot of sense because I think a lot of people want to find out what that is right now, right? Uh, as comfortable as we are in this bear market, we want to see what comes out of it and which is usually some really exciting developments. So um, tell us a little bit about where you see yourself in Web3 in the next six to 12 months, which I would consider the short midterm. And then where you, where, what are your big ideas? Where do you think this space and yourself could be in five to 10 years? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a really great question. I think in the next year or so, um, I see myself and the space being in kind of a build mode. So if anybody follows the Bankless podcast, that's kind of what they did in 2017, 2018. And I, I didn't even start following them until kind of mid last year, but they did a great job and they built up their audience and they've got a lot of great names on their podcast now. And I hope to build something perhaps like that. But also I've, I've also delved into the code and trying to teach myself how to program a little bit either just so I can understand or contribute to a project, perhaps that I start, or just so that I can evaluate a project that is brought to me a little bit more in depth so I can, and, and maybe, it's, maybe it's going nowhere, but I, I just have a curiosity for that. And then the space in general, I think it's still time to, I think it's time to the next year, time to observe and make high conviction bets if you have them and be in no rush, have a lot of patience. And then in the next five to tw 10 years, I see a lot of things being transformed by cryptocurrency, blockchain and NFTs where we, we already saw a lot of that in N NFT NYC. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it, but the token token proof right that's the company that man that is that's going to be an amazing startup that that already is an amazing startup and there will be more things like that token gated access to irl events and experiences as well as token linked assets in in the real world so from probably from contracts to ownership of houses or cars to digital authentic authentic um, certifications like a like a degree like a doctorate or a bachelor's all, all those things can be tokenized and be 
more authentic than a paper or something from in some system from who knows 50 years ago so <laughs> i think it's much gonna it's gonna be much easier to authenticate those credentials when they become perhaps nfts on the blockchain uh, at least that's that's the vision i see and for myself, I hope to be deeper into in the space and at least contributing to one of those use cases, <laughs> whether it's education or actually building a product or both. So hopefully, yeah. it's a big enough. Hopefully, it's a big enough empire in ten years that both are are something on my radar. Yeah, yeah. I think learning how to build right, like that, costs nothing but your time right now. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure there's classes you can pay for and to get really good at things, but there's a lot of free resources out there. I've got a few that I can link to in the show notes and, you know, Cray, feel free to send me uh, what you're working with so that the audience knows that they can go learn how to do that too. Um, just it, even if it's just how to read a smart contract, right. Um, or, or something like that. Like, I think that's a really valuable skill to have. So it's really cool that you're doing that. Yeah, Sweet, definitely. ma'am. Well, um, Last thing, uh, how does the audience get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach sure. you in Block Party Labs? Sure. Yeah, you can find me as Cray Cray on Twitter, C-R-A-Y-C-R-E-I-G-H. That's at Cray Cray on Twitter. And then the link in my Twitter profile is the Discord. So come say hi in the Discord. A lot of people will be happy to see you and happy to interact with you in the Discord, including myself. So I'm there every day. Sweet. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Cray. Uh, this was super enjoyable and uh, glad we could connect on the show. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Great to see you again, man. Yeah, you too. All right. Thanks. Thanks for joining Web3 with me. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review as it'll help us reach more people. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at off edge underscore. Thanks for vibing in the verse with me and hope you'll join us next time.